Do you struggle with ungratefulness? Well, let's find out today on Changed by Grace. Welcome to Changed by Grace. I'm Pastor Steve Herford. We're looking once again at the subject of thanksgiving and learning that God commands us to rejoice, pray, and be thankful. But are those commands possible in a world that is ungrateful? Well, let's find out today as we answer these and many other questions from God's Word. Now go over to Romans chapter 1. And notice that this kind of attitude, this kind of ungratefulness, in many ways characterizes the human race. The human race is certainly in mind here. When he says there in verse 21 that even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or do what? Give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was dark and professing to be wise, they became fools. And what did he say about us? We were once foolish. And here's what he's saying about the human race. Foolish. They come across as wise. They come across with all of this wisdom and knowledge, but in essence, because they reject the creator God and they worship the creature rather than the creator, and they refuse to do something as simple as this, honor him as God and give him thanks, he says that they're foolish. It's even the fool that says in his heart that there is no God. Unbelievers are ungrateful, and we need to be careful that we don't identify with what we used to be, right? That we don't adopt, once again, that same type of attitude. Well, believers give thanks because there has been an inner transformation that's taken place. There's been a heart change. God has given you a new heart. He's given you a new capacity in which you can live, a new capacity in which you can relate to Him, and it is through thanksgiving. Notice the second thing. Believers give thanks because not only do they have a new heart, but they have a new desire. Frankly, I remember that was was the first thing I recognized in my life. Uh, The very moment that God saved me was my desires changed. And you may have recognized that in your life as well. And in my desires changing, I now desire to obey God. And you know, when Paul gives the command to the Thessalonians to give thanks, that's exactly what they did. They gave thanks. It's reflected throughout both the letters that he wrote to them. Let's do a little survey of this. Go back to chapter 1 and look at verse 6. He says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Hold your finger right there and just go to the second letter and notice some of the tribulation that he talks about here. He says there in verse 3, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as it is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God, for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. It's obvious that this little church was suffering at the hand of the enemy, and they was experiencing some great trial and tribulation and persecution And here, in the midst of all of that, they had gotten saved. In the midst of the persecution, they became imitators of, Paul says, of us and of the Lord. And they received the word. And so, Paul says that the reflection here of the thanksgiving reflected in their life is seen by, look at the end of the verse, 
the joy of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's sad that many have not experienced the joy of the Holy Spirit. Have not experienced the fruit that is mentioned there in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We get going and we try to live our lives our own ways. When in fact, God says the key to life is your surrender. My surrender. That we surrender to him. We get out of the way and we let him rule our life. All of these things are dependent upon that. All of this that we talk about this morning or what we've been talking about for four weeks now. Or even with the one and others is depending on the fact that we surrender. It's like we talked about Wednesday night. One of the hardest things to do for us is to surrender, is to submit. But when we do, look at what we experience. We surrender everything to the Holy Spirit. And what happens? He controls us. And when he controls us, he produces fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. All of that is produced in your life. So a good survey that you could do with your life is saying, uh, are these things manifested in my life? And if not, then recognize immediately that you spend more time catering to the flesh than you do surrendering to the spirit, than walking in the spirit. Here they had received the word in the midst of all the persecution, all the tribulation that they were enduring. And he said they did this with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that they became examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. He says, from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth. It's reverberated all throughout that community. And the reason why it did, because traveling right through the heart of the city was the Ignatian Way. And that road, many travelers came in and through the city you know, it, it wouldn't be like a beltway that would take you around the city, like, you know, driving to Atlanta and you have a choice to go around it or through it. But it'd be like taking you through the heart of the city. Could you imagine how quickly news would travel? I mean, it's not like the sophistication that you and I have. Go into chapter 2. Look at verse 13. He says, There, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. He says, not only did you become examples, and you became examples in the midst of the persecution that you were enduring, and you did that with the joy of the Holy Spirit, but you had accepted the word, and you accepted it as the word of God. You know, they recognized the treasure that they had. Even in chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul says, Now that Timothy has come from us and has brought us good news of your faith, notice this, that you always think kindly of us. You were longing to see us just as much as we were longing to see you. You were that grateful. In chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need to anyone write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. You're doing this. Just keep doing it. Keep doing it more and more. You know, one of the great things that, that is an encouragement, and I hope that we'll be the same today with our guests with us, is many times I talk to people that visit our church and they walk away saying it's a warm fellowship. I felt welcome. I felt at home. And I hope that those of you that are here with us this morning will feel the same way. And we need to make sure that they do feel the same way, right? That they do experience a genuine love for them. 
Here, this fellowship did that. They had love for one another. And if you have love for each other, that's part of those one another's we've been looking at. Then that's going to permeate. That's going to permeate into those who aren't normally part of this fellowship. And they will experience that as well. Again, Paul talks about how this was spreading all throughout the fellowship. So when he would write in chapter 5 and give those closing arguments and those closing admonitions, he could certainly tell them to continue to do this. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Now let me say something here, and I'm going to just say it briefly and then I'll move on and pick it up in just a, more in just a few moments. You know, when Jesus talks about obedience, he connects it with love. He doesn't say just obey me, but he says that if you love me, you will obey me. Right? John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This will be the expression of your love. You'll do what I ask you to do. John does the same thing in 1 John 5. He got the message of what Jesus was saying. He said in verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. He connected the two. Love and obedience are inseparable. And when we talk about obeying God by being a certain type of people that he's called us to be, we're not trying to manufacture something in the flesh. We're seeking to fulfill something that he is producing in us through his spirit. Well, believers do desire to obey God. That is the longing of their heart. But notice, secondly, believers are consistently thankful. And you might want to write in parentheses this. When they are filled with the Spirit. You're consistently thankful when you're filled with the Spirit. Owen Lutzer writes, a Christian who walks by faith accepts all circumstances from God. He thanks God when everything goes good, when everything goes bad, and for the blues somewhere in between. He thanks God whether he feels like it or not. Now, if you struggle with that, with those statements, let me give you some perspective Linsky says this. He says, if everything actually conspires to do us good, and he's basing that on Romans 8, 28. He says, how can we do otherwise than always rejoice? In other words, if God is working out everything for our good, what else can we do but rejoice? He's in control. What if we do not always at once see and feel the good? Is there not joy in anticipating the sight? What do you anticipate? I mean, I read some of these statements and I have some of the same thoughts that you may be having. And especially those days when things are bad, things are difficult. But I think there's a, a key here and, and we're moving our way to it. So hold on there. But let's first look at some examples. Go with me to Genesis 50. Genesis chapter 50. We've used Joseph before as an example. Let's use him again because there's some characteristics in his life that you and I can learn from. 
and go down to verse 15. Joseph has just buried his father. And now his brothers are nervous. Because now they feel that Joseph's going to think payback time. For all the evil that we have done to you. So it says in verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did in him or did to him? And so they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive, So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and for your little ones. And so he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. Look at his perspective in verse 20. You did this for evil. You meant evil by this. But God meant good. You're talking here about a man who lived in the providence of God. Who recognized God in all circumstances of his life. God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. To preserve many people alive. If you hadn't put me in that pit, pulled me out of the pit, sold me to the Ishmaelite traders, I would not have ended up in Egypt at Potiphar's house. And Potiphar wouldn't have... Potiphar's wife wouldn't have made those sexual advances toward me. I wouldn't have been thrown in jail for which I interpreted two dreams. And both dreams came true. One man died because of the dream of what Pharaoh was to do to him. The other man was exalted back to his position. But he forgot about me. But all in God's due time. Because Pharaoh has a dream too. And nobody could interpret that dream. Then all of a sudden... The one who was in the jail with him remembered Joseph. Joseph's brought before Pharaoh. He gives the interpretation of the dream. And Pharaoh exalts him to number two of the whole nation. Now, Joseph didn't see that coming, did he? Do you see what's coming in your future? But I tell you what, it sure does help things out when we go, go... Go on with situations in our life with the right kind of perspective and the right kind of attitude, right? I mean, if we keep crumbling over every single thing that we do, we get bitter, we get cold, we're unhappy, we're unthankful, we're ungrateful, we're miserable. What does that accomplish? Zip. Nothing. Nada. You call it what you want. Nothing doesn't accomplish anything but heartache. And the people that are around you are miserable too, right? Joseph had a different outlook. He trusted God. He believed God. And I'm not saying that when you get like this that you don't believe God and you don't trust God. I think what it is is that your your perception is off. 
you need to have a fresh perception of God. You need to see his outworking. Let me show you, again, somebody else who had the right kind of outlook. Go with me to Acts chapter 16. And if you remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they come into Philippi. They go down to the to the river there, and there were some women meeting there. The Lord opens up the hearts of one named Lydia. It says there in verse 14. It says in verse 16, it happened as they were going to the place of prayer that a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us. In other words, this was a demon-possessed girl. And she was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. And so Luke records, following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And Luke says she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed. And he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. But when her masters saw that the hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city in confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which are not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. And then the crowd rose up together against them. They just incited the people. They incited a riot. This is California all over again, right? And the chief magistrates, they tore their robes off of them. They proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the inner prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, he threw them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. You know, when I read this, and you read it the same way as I do, so I have no mystical way of reading this, but... But you don't hear Paul and Silas having an opportunity to give a defense during all of this, do you? Maybe they were silent the whole time. They took the beatings. They took the, the humiliation. They took the shame. They took all of that, even to the point of being thrown into jail and having their feet locked in these, in these stocks. And it says, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. And they were singing. What were they singing? Gloom and despair and agony on me. Is that, do you think that's what they were singing? I don't think so because it says here the prisoners were listening. They were, I mean, it was enough to, to bring notice. No one knows my sorrows, you know. Maybe they were singing something upbeat. Maybe they were singing something that well, obviously, it was a hymn of praise, as it says right here in verse 25. And check it out, verse 26. Suddenly, there came a great earthquake. That was some good singing. <laughs> so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. 
And he called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Hey, think about this. Maybe you're going through a tough situation. Maybe you're complaining through the whole thing. Then all of a sudden, you have an opportunity to speak and you start telling someone you're a Christian. But the whole time you've been going through this, even though you've been unjustly treated and you're going, you know, I shouldn't be treated like this. I'm a Christian. I didn't do anything wrong. Why are they treating me like this? I don't understand. I'm going to call somebody that can help me out of this. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to take you to court. Or whatever. But maybe on the other hand, you didn't say anything. One of the first things that we like to do when we're being attacked is to defend ourselves, right? You want to defend yourself. Physically, you have built within your nature to, to defend yourself. Physically, you tend to do the same thing. And that's why you hear Paul saying, don't repay evil for evil. Don't pay it back, the evil that you've received. Don't do evil back. Do good. You know, if your enemy is thirsty, give him a drink. If he's hungry, give him something to eat. You're going to bring shame to them by treating them good. But that's not natural, is it? That's supernatural. I just tell you from experience, you accomplish nothing when you try to defend yourself verbally. It's better when someone else defends you. That's nicer. (laughs) That's helpful, right? But when you have to do it yourself. Here... Again, we don't see anything being recorded here, to our knowledge, of them saying anything. But what we do see is, in verse 25, that the perspective and the outlook that they had on their life was the fact that God was in control. Now, if you back up into chapter 16, now if you remember that they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon the apostles there in chapter 15, The churches were being strengthened in the faith. They were increasing in number daily. In verse 6 says they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region. They having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Notice verse 10. When we had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And here's my point. The persecution they experienced at Philippi, they were able to keep their perspective because, number one, they knew God had called them to go there. Some people get a little bit of persecution and they start running. They say, maybe God didn't call me to go here. You know? They didn't give up. And you know, I I would tend to think, or at least this is my way of thinking, it sure would be much nicer if today God was speaking audibly. It says here the, the Spirit of Jesus was speaking to them and telling them, no, don't go here. Yes, go here. It tended to kind of would help out a lot of things in our life, wouldn't it, if, if it was still functioning like that. I find that. Love it. we have two examples right here of how we should respond. Do we always do this? No. Do we want to do this? Yeah. The deepest longing of your heart is this. Let's take the ultimate example. 
the example of Jesus. Jesus is standing there at the tomb of Lazarus. He's already been mocked, you know, because he wanted them to roll the stone away. And they were like, you know, what in the world can he do? And the first thing he did after they removed the stone, he raised his eyes and he said this, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. That's the first thing he said. I thank you that you have heard me. And then he called Lazarus out of the grave. Now, I really believe that you and I can have that same intimacy with God. That you can know that he hears your prayers. That you can see him answer your prayers. If you're not one, maybe you're one that struggles with that. You say, well, I just don't see God working in my life. Maybe you need to start putting together a journal. I think that that would help. You can go back and look and see those times when he does. So it reminds you that when you feel like you're in your little poor pitiful me situation and you can't rejoice because you can't see, you know, above the ash heaps that you're in, that God has answered your prayers before and why would he fail you now, right? And then we have to have that, that understanding and that assurance of 1 Corinthians ten thirteen that he's not going to give you more than you can handle. He's there. If he says he's not going to leave you and he's not going to forsake you, that's exactly what it means. And if he says that all things work together for good, then even in the difficult situation you're facing, somehow, some way, sometime, good's going to come out of this. You think, again, going back to Joseph. Joseph is in the pit. They threw him in the pit. His brothers hated him so much. And his father created that kind of hate because he showed favoritism to him. What did they bring back to their father? The coat of many colors that they were so angered over. It's almost like, why didn't you take each one of those colors and make us one? (laughs) And so they wanted to kill him. And I think it was Reuben that talked them out of it. And so they sold him to some Ishmaelite traders. Wonder how much he sold him for. When Paul says to give thanks in everything, notice the last part of the verse. He says, This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And the reason why believers give thanks is because this does reflect the will of God. I mean, we struggle sometimes wanting to know what the will of God is, but I mean, he's telling us right here. For this is the will of God. You say, what is? Well, it's the three things that he's just mentioned. God wants us to rejoice always. He wants us to pray ceaselessly. He wants us to give thanks in everything. Three important commands for you and I to obey. Today's message has been called Reasons for Thanksgiving. This message is made available on one full-length audio CD for a gift of $5. To purchase your copy, call us today at 904-651-3351. You can also download the free MP3 from our website. The address is www.changedbygrace.org. There on our website, you can download for free over 1,100 messages on topics like this one. I'm Pastor Steve Herford. Thank you for listening.